Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad that you've joined us today and hope that you're ready to study the Bible for about 30 minutes and see if we can all know our Bible a little bit better by dealing with some of the questions that we get. If you're a first-time viewer, you may wonder how this program operates. I'll give you a quick introduction. Uh, you'll see there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime you want to get in touch with us and tell us what you'd like us to talk about. That's what this program is. It's a, a question and answer program. You ask the questions, we'll try to give you answers from the Bible. And uh, we get all kinds of questions and from all kinds of folks, and um, most all of them, we can find a principle or a direct answer in the Bible, and we're happy to do that, and hope that all helps us all know our Bible a little bit better. So that's what we're going to do, and uh, we'll get started here in just a second, as soon as I introduce my partner here, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and studied up and ready to go. Our viewers uh, waiting for their question maybe to get answered, but... They always get one first. So here's our viewer question of the day. Two twin brothers in the uh, Old Testament, Jacob and Esau. Uh, one of them was born first, obviously. Which one was it? And we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. Jacob or Esau was older than the other one. Looks like I drew number one today. So let's get started. A uh, little simple question here from 1 Corinthians 15:29. What does baptized for the dead mean? Well, lots of people have lots of ideas about exactly what that means. I don't think it's as tricky as we like to make it sometimes. Uh, the problem is there is one group that uh, teaches that uh, you can be baptized here on earth. If you're still alive, you can be baptized and it'll count uh, for somebody already dead. Now, uh, that group studies genealogy very carefully, tries to research all of their ancestors and then be baptized repeatedly for those ancestors so that they can uh, go to heaven. Uh, that's what causes a lot of people to say, all right, what's this verse mean? Well, let's look at the verse and then we'll see if we can figure it out. It's 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty nine, as we said. And Paul says, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead. If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Well, if you just read that verse, it sounds like, all right, there is a, somehow people are being baptized uh, on behalf of dead people or for dead people. But if you read the context, and you've heard that word before on Know Your Bible, uh, we always say, look at the context. See what's being talked about. It may help you figure out the verse. If you read 1 Corinthians 15, the whole thing is about resurrection. Uh, some people said there is no resurrection. When you die, you're just dead. Okay, And Paul's answering that heresy 
and explaining that, yes, there is a resurrection. Okay. And after a bunch of other arguments about people really being raised from the dead, uh, here's this argument, and he says, uh, well, if there's no resurrection, then why are people baptized for the dead? Okay. Now, think about what he's saying here. If dead people never get resurrected, there's no need to be baptized for that condition. Okay. If you ask me, why was I baptized? Uh, first answer would be to obey Christ, but uh, I, I did it to get in Christ and to be part of his church on this earth. But a real big part of it was I was baptized for when I'm dead. Uh, when I die, I want to go to heaven. I want to be in a right relationship with God. So I was baptized partly for this life, but majority of why I was baptized were for when I'm dead. Okay, that's Paul's argument here. If the dead aren't raised, uh, why are people baptized uh, for when they're dead? Uh, I think you read the context. I think it's obviously clear that's what he's talking about. Uh, there is no uh, biblical uh, second chance. Uh, once we die, it's settled. Once we die, judgment is next. There's no biblical teaching uh, that you can do anything for somebody that has passed away, has, has died. What they did on earth settles it. So uh, not only is the doctrine not proven by this verse, it's certainly disproven uh, by clear biblical teaching. So that's what baptism for the dead is, I think. Okay. A uh, question about creation. Uh, does a fetus have a soul? Uh, my answer to that is a baby has a soul, yes. Uh, God creates babies uh, in the womb. And one psalm that gives us a very clear picture of that is Psalm chapter 139. Psalm 139, uh, verse 13. This will be on the screen. Uh, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well, he goes on to say. So, yes, a baby uh, in the mother's womb uh, is created uh, by God, formed by God, uh, both the soul. Uh, the, the psalmist goes on to say, your, your eyes saw my unformed body, the, the spiritual aspect of a human being. And then, of course, God knit together the physical aspect of the human being. So, uh, yes, a baby in the womb uh, has a soul made in God's image and is precious to God as all life is. I hope that helps you. All right. Viewer says, why do you have so many questions about baptism? Okay, well, I appreciate you asking. and uh, I could uh, answer it this way. Uh, we could easily uh, get a viewer that calls in and says, why do you get so many, why do you have so many answers about uh, angels? Why do you have so many answers about heaven? Why do you have so many answers about cremation? Well, because we get so many. Uh, we get asked about cremation and angels and heaven. Uh, every week people ask about those topics. And we answer them, uh, not every week, but we answer them more frequently because we get more questions about that. So that's my first answer is we answer a lot of questions about baptism because we get a lot of questions about baptism. But to 
take it one step further, why do we get so many questions about it? Well, because people are interested in it. And people are interested in it because there's so much confusion about it. There's so many different teachings about baptism uh, that people wonder, well, what's the Bible really say about baptism? So uh, it's not that we set out and say, all right, we're going to answer two questions every week on this topic. Uh, it's just we take answer them as we get them and uh, take them as they come. And we get a lot of questions about baptism because people wonder about baptism. Now, if you've watched this program very long, and if, you've, if you're the one that asked that question, uh, you've heard a lot of answers about baptism, so you know our basic position on that and what we think the Bible says. Uh, uh, people have questions about the uh, who can be baptized, about the mode of baptism, uh, is it immersion or sprinkling or pouring or what, and people have questions about the purpose of baptism. What's it for? Now, we've answered those all different ways over the years. Uh, I thought for this viewer, I'd just put uh, why do we deal with it so much and what do we say about it. I thought I'd just put a little chart up about what happens at baptism. And I'll leave this up for just a little bit if you want to take a screenshot of it. Uh, Romans 6 says that's when we enter into Christ. Second uh, Timothy 2.10 says that's where you get salvation. Uh, Paul says in Christ is where every spiritual blessing is. Uh, in Christ is where you become the righteousness of God. It's where you get redemption through his blood. It's where you get forgiveness of sins is in Christ. Well, Romans 6 says how do you get into Christ? In baptism. First Peter 3 says you gain a clear conscience. Romans 6 says we obey in baptism. Acts 2.38 says that's when we receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.47 says when we're added to the church. So all of those things happen at baptism. And that makes it pretty important. Uh, that's another reason that we answer so many questions about it. Because it's a really important topic. So... Hope that uh, helps our viewer understand how we select our questions and uh, why we we get a lot about baptism, and we'll continue to try to answer them as best we can. Speaking of Bible study, uh, we enjoy studying the Bible with you a little bit each week, but uh, we hope you're studying at home, too. And we know a lot of our viewers are serious Bible students. We get some questions from folks that, you know, uh, they've been digging into the Bible. But we also get some uh, from folks who obviously haven't studied the Bible, don't know anything about the Bible. And that's okay, uh, <clears throat> but it's a good thing to uh, remedy, to figure out a way to study the Bible, because it's God's Word, and we think it's a really important thing we could do. So we know it's hard for some folks. We've got some tools that uh, help you get started. Here's a course that's uh, just a real basic overview of the Bible. You see the first two lessons there, the Old Testament and the New Testament. You've got to understand those two big parts of your Bible. And then we've got some other course, uh, parts of that course that will just introduce you to the Bible. Uh, these four courses are ones that go a little deeper into the Bible, a little more detail about <clears throat> specific things. So they're great ways to study the Bible. And we've got a real good uh, online course that uh, is a 
great way to uh, study without going through the mail and using paper and stamps and all that. Uh, you, this one you can do on your phone or your tablet and study the Bible uh, as quickly and uh, thoroughly as you want to. So log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and we'll get you started with that one. Phone number and website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime you want and tell us you'd like to study the Bible with Know Your Bible Study Tools and we'll get it going for you. All, All right. right, what's up, Toby? <laughs> we have a question about uh, John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, verse 53, 54. How do we eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood? Well, my goodness, this was a uh, is controversial today and was controversial when Jesus initially said it. Let's look at John chapter 6. Give a little context. We'll look at 53 through 56. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me, and I in him. Wow. And you know, just as you read that, how shocking that is. Well, you can take that times a thousand, uh, how shocking it would have been to a Jewish audience. Uh, this would have been absolute heresy of Jesus. What was Jesus was teaching some sort of uh, not only flesh mutilation, but some sort of cannibalism. And I mean, this was absolute heresy if what he was teaching was to be literally interpreted. In fact, you see that in John chapter six, verse sixty-six. This is not on the screen, but you can read it on your own. Uh, Jesus, uh, from that time, many of the disciples turned away and no longer followed him. In fact, there was enough of a mass exodus uh, that Jesus turned to Peter and said, are, are, are you guys going to stick around too? So it was absolutely an offensive thing, and it was offensive because they interpreted it in a literal way. If they had listened to Jesus uh, and uh, listened to what he said, uh, he went on to say, in verse 61, uh, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So when you understand that Jesus is talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, he's not talking about literal, literally partaking of his flesh and his blood. And there are some people that believe that. There are some groups that teach that, a doctrine called transubstantiation. Uh, but to do so, I believe, gets into a whole host of problems. Uh, this was uh, foreboden in, in, in the Old Testament and in the New. Uh, so they can't be interpreted literally. And Jesus said as much. He said, this is not a fleshly thing I'm talking about. I'm teaching you a spiritual thing. When Jesus said, I am the door, he wasn't speaking literally. He wasn't saying, I'm... I'm six feet tall and three feet wide. He wasn't saying that. He was, he was giving a picture here. And the picture is that of the Lord's Supper, uh, that which he instituted at the Passover. And he said as much, this take and eat, this is my body given for you. Uh, drink from this, it is my blood. And so we know that this is something that the early church uh, that brought them together as they remembered what Jesus did, something we still do today. Um, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, 
which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's the key. In the same way, he also took the, uh, the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance as, of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <clears throat> Obviously, he was not speaking. The cup was not full of literal blood. And that was not what he was saying. He was saying, This is, you're being now part of a new covenant through the blood, through the sacrifice that I'm going to make on your behalf. So we don't eat Jesus' literal flesh and blood. Uh, What Jesus was saying in John chapter 6 was to be interpreted spiritually, and it is something that we do as part of the church, partaking of the first partaking of the Lord's Supper as we do on every first day of the week. So I hope that uh, gives you an explanation of that. All right. Question about tithing. Does your tithe need to go to a church or could it go to some needy person? All right. Well, most religious TV programs would tell you where your tithe ought to go first uh, <laughs> would be to the, uh, this TV program. But that's not how we do things on Know Your Bible. We never ask for money. Uh, that, that's not what we're here for. We're here to help you know your Bible. Uh, so let's get back to the question. Does your tithe need to go to a church or could it go to a needy person? First, let's deal with that tithe topic. Uh Tithing is an Old Testament word. It literally means 10%. And that's what the uh, Israelites were mandated to do, was to give 10% of all their income, uh, 10% of everything. And that was used to support the priests. It was used for sacrifices. It was used for all sorts of things. So that's a tithe. Uh, 10% minimum mandatory, that was it. Now, the New Testament doesn't teach tithing. Uh, And I know we use that term sometimes just to mean giving, uh, but that's a misnomer. Tithing is 10%. Uh, Giving in the New Testament is free will. It's give generously. It's give as you're prospered is what the New Testament talks about. So it does teach giving. Uh, but it doesn't put a limit on it. So we can start at 10% if we want to, and we can go as high as we want. I think it's the best way to think about it. Uh, we're not, In fact, we're told to grow in the grace of giving. So that means we ought to be giving more and more all the time if we're growing. Okay, so that takes care of tithing. Now, our viewer wants to know, where's that money go? Should it? Does it have to go to a church, or could it go to some needy person? All right. Churches are like a family. They're a group of Christians that get together and say, we're going to fellowship, we're going to meet together and work together and serve together. And we can, in some instances, pool our resources so that we can do more things. So that's what a church does. Now, if you're a group of people that get together, uh, wherever you meet, that creates some expenses. Okay, If you meet in somebody's house uh, for a meal every Sunday, which some Christians do, well, uh, there's some expenses in that. And maybe everybody would like to throw a dollar or two into the, the, the bowl and help the host pay for the meal. Okay, uh, That's the way to think about a church. Uh, when a congregation, a large group of people get together or even a small group of people and decide we'd like a building to meet in, 
uh, so we can serve there and serve the community and do things like that together. Uh, there are some costs involved. You've you got to pay the light bill. You've got to pay the heat bill. You, things like that happen when you start to function as a congregation or a church together. Uh, so one way to think about it is if you are a church, if you're meeting in a church, uh, profiting and being benefited by that group of people, uh, there's some, don't get me wrong now with this term, but there's some dues <laughs> that are required uh, for your part of all the benefits. Now, nobody sends out bills or invoices for your dues, but uh, some money has got to go there to just keep the church functioning. So uh, that's my way of saying, yeah, you ought to give something to your church. Uh, that ought to be first on the, the list, I think. But beyond that, uh, you're free to give anywhere you want. If you see a particularly needy person, you know a family that needs help, feel free to help them. That's fine. Uh, that's a great way to grow in the grace of giving, is see other needs and give beyond uh, what you're giving to support the ministries and the work of your church. So. No, your giving doesn't all have to go to a church. In fact, I think it's good to give first there, then grow in the grace of giving by helping other people. Speaking of a church, we like to thank a few each week, and today let's thank the supporters that we have up in the Sioux Falls, South Dakota, a great group of folks at uh, Southeastern Avenue, the Sioux Falls Church of Christ. Uh, they think and study the Bible a lot like we do here on this program. And uh, we invite you to drop in and visit them sometime. Great group of folks and help us in the uh, market up there in South Dakota. So visit them or maybe you know somebody that attends that congregation. Tell them, hey, I saw you all know your Bible the other day. Appreciate you keeping that on the air. Whatever market you're in, probably a Church of Christ near you, drop in and visit them sometime. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right, Toby, what's up next? All right, a question about baptism. Uh, we do get a lot of questions about baptism, don't we? In baptism, is having water poured over your head true baptism? And the answer to that is no, it's not. And uh, if I answer that, I realize there are some people watching that baptize in that way, and that offends them. I don't intend to offend you. I simply intend to answer the question in a, an honest and direct way. Uh, the word baptism uh, means to be immersed, to be buried, to be dipped, to be plunged under. Uh, to have water poured over you is not baptism in the strictest sense. So uh, that's the answer to the question. Uh, pouring as a means of baptism came about much later in the history of the church. Um, and uh, it, some, I mean, there's a whole history to it, which I'm not going to give you, but uh, basically, it was added as a means to kind of uh, give exceptional circumstances, people in exceptional circumstances, the ability to be baptized. But no, in the strictest sense, baptism means to be immersed uh, in water. We know that from every example in Scripture of someone being baptized. We're going to look at a couple. Mark chapter 1, uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of, of Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So Jesus' baptism, he came up out of the water. Acts chapter 8, let's just go to that one. Um, Philip 
and the eunuch go down into the water, Acts 8, 38, 9, uh, and he baptized him, and when they came up, out of the water. So uh, every picture we get where baptism is described, it's person going in, it's person coming out. It's clear that's what it means. You don't have to know Greek to know that. And the reason for that is because there's meaning behind it. And this is found in Romans chapter 6. Let's look at that. We have been buried, therefore, with him uh, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So, uh, no, baptism is not pouring. They're very different. Um, and uh, b- biblically speaking, that's how it's done. Hope that helps. All right. Who are the 12 tribes of Israel today? The 12 tribes of Israel today are not identifiable uh, after the destruction of Jerusalem uh, and the dispersion of the Jews before that, uh, the records and all of that not available. Uh, some Jewish names may give people clues as to what tribe they were from, but the 12 tribes are not identifiable today, and it doesn't really matter. It's not that important because God has grafted in Gentiles into the family of God And the uh, Galatians chapter 6 verse, let's just read that, that shows us, it says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. He's writing to the church in Galatia, and he says that everybody, uh, Jews and Gentiles, are now the Israel of God. So the original 12 tribes are not identifiable the true Israel exists. Can you answer one in about a minute, Toby? We can do it. Uh, is it. Is it a sin to give up on a family member who is constantly in trouble and won't change his ways? <laughs> well, this does depend on the details. We have a short amount of time. The context of the situation matters. If you, you know, a sexual predator uh, versus somebody who hurts your feelings in some way, those are two very different situations. So my answer is not going to apply equally. Uh, generally, the scripture teaches us as Christians to live at peace. Romans 12 verse 18 says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. And so uh, if a person's in trouble, you can forgive them, you can show them mercy, you can be kind to them, do your best to live at peace. That said, it's not always unhealthy to have boundaries. If a person refuses to change their ways in a way that could harm you or your family, uh, it's okay to have healthy boundaries. Nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, And generally speaking, uh, God wants us to be merciful and not to give up on people because this is His nature. Let's look at 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repent. If we can follow God's example in that and be patient with others and always want what's best for them, I think that will serve us well. Hope that helps you. Okay, good, good phrase there, setting boundaries. I don't think anybody ever truly gives up on yep. a loved one, right. a family member, but you got to draw a line sometimes. Yep, sometimes. When their behavior is hurting your life more or you're just enabling them. Yep, you that's draw true. that boundary. So, Nothing yeah, you give that. up in that sense. <laughs> Let's answer our trivia question and be done today. Uh, what twin brother was born first, Jacob or Esau? And the big brother was Esau. By a few minutes, he was born first. Genesis 25, 
uh, and those two brothers had all sorts of problems over that. So read that story. We're glad you've been with us today and hope we get your question answered. If not, come back next week and we'll try to get some more in. We're glad you've been with us. Till we see you next week, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.